This is the Oanda Podcast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the globe. And I'm delighted to say today we're joined by Jeff Halley in Asia Pacific. Good morning from London, Jeff. How are you doing? And good afternoon from Asia. As always, a pleasure to be here. Let's start with the markets overnight. And well, they endured a torrid day yesterday, didn't they? Uh, The sell-off in risk assets has accelerated amid uh, mounting concern over the debt ceiling impasse in Washington. I know today that Japan's Nikkei saw big falls again. What about the rest of Asia Pacific? Yeah, there was a, a really a perfect storm last night. Uh, the $3.5 trillion spending bills in trouble, not just from Republicans, but also from the progressive Democrat side. As you said, debt ceiling. Uh, Jerome Powell had some testimony to make on Capitol Hill yesterday, and he was less dovish than he had been previously. Um, combined with China fears, uh, soaring energy prices, uh, supply chain disruptions, inflation, the whole thing mixed up into a toxic soup, if you like. Uh, but I think the underlying uh, issue is that the market is starting to realise that a Federal Reserve tapering of quantitative easing at the end of the year is now a really real thing. And they're uh, uh, reacting to that. We saw US interest rates move higher, uh, and that in turn pushed uh, the panic button on uh, stock markets, and we saw them fall heavily. Uh, technology stocks bore the worst of it, and they are perhaps more interest rate sensitive uh, than other sectors because so much future growth is built into those puffy share prices at the moment that anything that would uh, change that, i.e. Um, higher interest rates, has a, a, a magnified negative effect. And we're seeing that in Asia today. We're seeing a real split between North Asia, uh, Japan, uh, China, Taiwan, and South Korea, and the rest of ASEAN. Now, Asia is in the red pretty much across the board, but it's much more so up in, in Japan. For example, it's down 2.2%. Um, China, down 1.5%. Hong Kong, down about 1%. Taiwan, down nearly 2%. South Korea down nearly uh, 2%, much more heavily focused in technology-facing companies uh, than, say, ASEAN, your Singapore's and Malaysia's and Indonesia's, to a certain extent Australia, which are much more resource and property and banking-focused, so those old-fashioned cyclical growth stocks. So are you expecting these falls to continue through the week? This is an interesting one because every time the market gets its knickers in a twist about this sort of thing and uh, starts calling for a big stock market sell-off and correction, etc., etc., the buy-the-dip army uh, appears from the sidelines. Um, with this whole Tina, there is no other alternative, or there is no alternative. Uh, trade comes out, and we see these dip buyers coming in to to to, to pick up uh, stocks. Uh, which usually turns sentiment around within 24 hours. Uh, we can see today, actually, when we look at the U.S. futures on the on the on the on the Dow and the S&P 500 and the and the and the Nasdaq, they're up by between 0.5 and 0.7 percent in Asia. So there's definitely been some dip buying, profit taking going on uh, in 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 in, um, in the U.S. futures market. I'm 50-50 on this one, yeah, because there's a few different things happening this time. And I think most notably, it is this potential repricing 
of the Federal Reserve taper, which will start probably in December now, uh, uh, washing across markets, combined with this debt ceiling, combined with the possibility that this $3.5 trillion stimulus bill may never see the light of day out of Congress. Joe Biden's actually cancelled a trip, uh, I think, to Chicago to try and knock heads together in his own caucus, uh, which underlines the urgency. So. You know, we've also got these nerves about China contagion uh, floating around as well. So there's a few more things in play this time uh, that mean that this could be more than just a short-term correction. But actually, in the bigger picture, you know, stock markets could probably fall 10 to 15% globally, and they would still be in a rampant bull market. A fall of 2% by the NASDAQ over one session does not mean the start of a bear market. Yeah, I mean, when we look at the price increases from March 2020 last year, we can see it's infinitesimal. So the jury's out, but I do believe the risks are more elevated this time. Use that expression, Tina, Jeff. I haven't heard that for many, many years, since the days of Margaret Thatcher. I'm showing my age there. Yeah, it's, come, it's making a comeback. It's making... There is no alternative. Love that. Um, let's talk about oil, um, which yesterday climbed above... $80 a barrel, uh, which was the highest level for three years. Uh, the pound slumped as well. Uh, oil has since uh, slipped back, although there are quite a lot of analysts out there who believe that, uh, for instance, Brent could hit $90 a barrel by the end of the year. And that uh, will be down to things that we've mentioned before, rising input costs, uh, higher gas prices and uh, so on. So this temporary dip in oil in the last few hours is going to be temporary, is it? Yeah, look, I, that, that, that's my opinion. And, and oil trading is typically quite volatile. It's not unusual to see a 2% range in oil trading uh, over a 24-hour span. But we saw Brent crude uh, get up to around about $80.70 a barrel overnight. Uh, we saw the US... Uh, 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 crude inventories, unofficial crude inventories from the API uh, show a surprise jump of 4 million barrels uh, last night when it was expected to fall. And I think that was the trigger that sent the short-term speculators to the sidelines. So they sold out of their positions, booked their profits, and we saw Brent crude fall uh, by 2%. And we saw WTI fall by much the same. Uh, I, I do feel that oil is very constructive still. We may get a little bit more of a dip today, but when you look at the price of natural gas and also coal, these energy alternatives, uh, oil starts becoming quite appealing uh, when, I mean, natural gas is trading at around the equivalent of $150 of a barrel in oil terms. Uh, that means that it becomes attractive for power generators, for example, to switch to burning oil or coal instead of natural gas when prices are there. Uh, we, we can see these shortages occurring in uh, China as well. That definitely spooked markets. Uh, they're having electricity blackouts and uh, telling uh, various provinces are being told and cities being told to save electricity. Factories being closed. They don't have enough coal and they're not going to ring up Australia for more. Um, you know, we're not even in winter yet in the Northern Hemisphere and this is the big thing. We're not at winter yet with the Northern Hemisphere. That's Europe, that's China, that's North, that Japan, South Korea, that's America, Canada, big energy users over winter. And so as long as that fear persists in the market, then I think oil's going to remain a buy on dips. And I would agree with that thesis that we could conceivably see 
uh, Brent crude trade at ninety dollars. OPEC Plus have their, their monthly meeting next month, uh, next week. Sorry, that'll be very interesting to see what they they say, whether they hold to their production targets or think about raising production. But I believe that OPEC Plus itself is actually having trouble producing to their production targets at the moment as they are. So they, they're having trouble getting enough oil out of the ground as well. I mean, it's all coincided with this post-pandemic boom in industrial production. So again, we've got a perfect storm swirling around in energy markets, and it's a constructive one for prices. Do you think we could see power cuts and shortages this winter here in Western Europe, in the UK particularly? Well, the thing is, Asia is quite busily outbidding uh, European uh, consumers for spot cargoes of uh, LNG or um, natural gas and coal at the moment. Now, also, they have some environmental pressures as well about using coal in, in, uh, in, in Western Europe. I, I'm actually seeing a greater chance that there could be a winter of discontent, uh, another one from the past uh, for you, Johnny. <laughs> And, and we could see more shortages, and that's simply because China is buying up everything that it can at very high prices because they have an issue as well. I think you know, natural gas is um, uh, below average uh, storage-wise, uh, volume-wise in, in Western Europe as well. And because of European Union policy, where they tilted uh, consuming uh, big consumers or these uh, nations away from long-term contracts to more spot-based contracts, they're now at the mercy of um, of market conditions. Also, funnily enough, and probably won't surprise anybody listening, uh, Russia is not pumping as much gas through their pipelines as they normally would either. They have said that maybe if Nord Stream 2 got approved quickly, they might be able to ramp up production, but they're having some difficulties at the moment. So in a way, I guess the only world leaders that are laughing themselves to sleep each night at the moment are probably Scott Morrison in Australia on his ocean of coal and uh, Vladimir Putin. I think we should subtitle this podcast Back to the 70s with Jeff Halley. It certainly feels like it's going <laughs> uh, that way. The oldies are the goodies, you know. They, they might take a holiday, but they never fall out of relevance. Absolutely. I mean, I'm talking of, well, it feels like the 70s, British Army on standby and ready to deliver fuel in this country, in the UK, by the end of the week. It looks as though the fuel situation here is improving that's according to the prime minister boris johnson who's uh, said people should be confident to go about their business um we mentioned this on monday lots and lots of people queuing up uh, for petrol and diesel pump closures very difficult to get anything at the moment but i think by the end of the week we could return to near normal and they'll they'll wait for a decision about whether they're going to deploy these military uh, tanker drivers which wouldn't be a good look would it uh for the Conservative government to have military tanker drivers on the streets again. That I think that happened about 21, 21 years ago. But um, yeah, it's still uh, it's still worrying, isn't it, when you see that? And if you combine that with the energy situation, with the cost of gas and so on that you mentioned a few minutes ago, it's not a great look, is it? No, and, and part of this has been complicated by Brexit and and the and the visas and you can't get enough lorry drivers that the petrol crisis at the moment in britain is a, a delivery of the last mile not the fact that they don't have enough of it actually sitting in tanks at tank farms in britain but thanks to the panic mongering that we, we've seen over the last week that caused what effectively has been a run on the bank 
where you know the petrol stations were overwhelmed because people were panic buying and above average uh, volumes. Uh, so I think these labour shortages are going to persist in Britain. Uh, now that's not a, a, a thing against Brexit, it's just that it's come at a very difficult time uh, for Britain and the rest of the world where there are supply chain disruptions and shortages uh, happening anyway uh, because of this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So again, it's an unfortunate confluence of factors that are complicating everything. But I, I do believe uh, inflation must inevitably move higher in, in, in Britain and I, I really can't see a, a quick way out of them uh, solving these delivery uh, bottlenecks either. I mean, I, I, I would imagine one big bottleneck would be training schools for truck drivers. They can't just create 50,000 of them. There's just not enough capacity to train them all uh, within the country as well. So it's a problem, I think, that is going to keep dogging uh, the UK through the rest of the year. Um, and it will be complicated uh, if energy prices soar. I think the most that Europe and Britain and China, et cetera, can hope for is a mild winter, because if it's a cold winter, I think things are going to get a lot uglier still. It's ironic we're short of these um, tanker drivers when you consider that the push is now for electric cars and we won't need petrol and diesel in the long term. But that's another story for another day. One other story I wanted to ask you about, this is down to your part of the world again. Chinese property giant Evergrande has said it's selling a $1.5 billion stake it owns in a commercial bank. It's trying to raise money, isn't it, Jeff, that it owes uh, to customers, investors and suppliers. Uh, it's a 20% isn't uh, stake in uh, the Shenzhen Bank, is that right? Yeah, look, Evergrande, in fact, the Chinese government has apparently um, instructed uh, state-owned uh, uh, companies and also some provinces to um, take a good look at buying some parts of Evergrande's empire. So maybe this is the first um, indication of how China look, is looking to resolve uh, this problem, which will be basically asset stripping uh, Evergrande of its uh, of its larger pieces, leaving a, a very small core. Evergrande itself is due to make another dollar coupon payment today of about forty seven million US dollars. I would expect it will move into that thirty day grace period, like last week's, once again as it tries to conserve cash, and it will be till the very last moment before those payments are made. So we've still got another month yet before we see whether we are going to see an Evergrande default. But uh, I think part of the reason that there's so much uh, uh, volatility around this issue is because the Chinese government has been pretty much silent about what it intends to do to resolve the situation. And I think that will continue. And things will get perhaps a bit murkier next week because from this Friday, China is actually on holiday until the following Friday. So uh, that is going to leave an even bigger information void for markets into next week. Sounds like a very nice long holiday there for uh, the Chinese there. Jeff, thanks very much for joining us uh, today and we'll speak to you again very soon. A pleasure. Have a great week ahead. The Oanda Podcast.